0: Thanks, mate. Morning, everyone. Good morning, Morning, morning. Um, Just had a really exciting moment. Matt, Matt Fox was just um, updating that apparently one of the men on the poster at the front of the church for the Christmas sort of poster for the wise men is actually his dad. So on your way out of the church, look at the, the old-fashioned poster. And the one on the far left is Mr Fox Senior. <laughs> look at that, yeah. From 32 years ago, thir- 32 years ago is it? <laughs> That's an old poster that they're using here, isn't it? Yeah. But there you go. So if you ever wondered uh, what Matt's dad looks like, you will know he looks like a wise man. That's very good. So that's an exciting moment. Okay, we're going on with our series in Mark, and we are up to Mark chapter 2, verse 23, and then we're reading through into chapter 3 verse 6. That's where we're up to. Uh, If you've got Bibles with you or other devices that you use these days, then look at those. The tech team might be experienced enough to get it on the the screen, but no pressure to do that. So this is Mark chapter 2, 23. Here we go. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, And as his disciples were walking along, they began to pick some of the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you never read what King David did when he and his companions were hungry and they were in need? in the days of Abiathar the the high priest he entered into the house of God into the temple and ate the consecrated bread which is lawful only for the priests to eat and he also gave some to his companions and then Jesus said to them the sabbath was made for man not man for the sabbath so the son of man is lord even of the sabbath And then another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there and some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal the man on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them all, what is lawful on the Sabbath to do good? or to do evil, to save life, or to kill. But they all remained silent. Then he looked around at them in anger. He was deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And so he stretched it out in front of everyone, and he was completely healed, and it was restored. Then the Pharisees went out, and they began to plot with the Herodians, how they might kill Jesus. boo hiss. It's amazing, isn't it, that you you end with a healing, something amazing, and that leads to a group of people so angry they wanna kill you for it. I mean, that, that should tell us something about what the heart of this passage is, and that they've completely misunderstood the heart of God. So there's a few little things just to mention before we get into the stuff about the Sabbath. Uh, looking at, at Richard Hayden Knowles' book, the little booklet that we've been using, if you haven't got a copy, some of you I know have got a, a who's got like a printed copy of it, old-fashioned style, like two of you, three of you. Um, some of you might have a digital version, anyone's seen the digital version, you can get that free of charge, there's, there's links that we've sent out. And it's really good because it's got questions. It's called Question Mark and it's Richard who was one of the leaders, lovely, brilliant, skilled Bible teacher, went off into glory a few years ago. Um, And it's his own devotional writings where as he was reading through Mark, he wrote questions down. What does this tell us? What was going on here? Why do you think this happened? So just by reading the questions, it kind of tells you, what the heart of the passage is. And these were some of the things that Richard highlighted, or at least come out of the questions when I, I had a look at it. So first of all, note how quickly the Pharisees are criticising. So they're, they're, they don't get a good rap, generally, the Pharisees in scripture, they were God honouring, God sort of fearing generally, but their hearts were quite critical. So they're, they're looking for ways to trap Jesus. And so f- first of all is that what we're like are we the sort of people who are always looking to catch others out are we critical whenever there's a like something new happening or a new idea or someone new comes at work or there's something new happening within your grow group or the church or ministry you're involved with are you someone that's always like critical Want- wanting to sort of bring the other side of it all the time to undermine Second thing to point out here is that Jesus knew the scriptures really, really well, because it's like just off the bat, they come at him with something and immediately, boom, he's back with quite an obscure Old Testament story to undermine what they've said. So how, how well do we know the scriptures? Are we the sort of church community that when we face stuff in life, it's like, boom, you, you know the scriptures. Even if it's a, a battle or you're, you're struggling to take hold of stuff, do we know the Bible well enough to use it in refuting error that comes or pushing back against pressure or attacks from the evil one? Third thing, the Pharisees clearly didn't know it as well as they thought they did because Jesus says, have you not read? And so... They're coming at him, but he comes back with the word of God and says, haven't you read what the Bible says? So sometimes we can think we know the Bible really well, even if you've been a Christian for decades, and then you're reading it, or or someone says something in preaching, you think, strange, I don't think I've ever come across that verse before. Have you ever had that? Or at least you've skimmed it, but you've never paused it, so you've forgotten of it. So the, the Bible's got so much in it, that we can miss it or not even be aware of certain stories or verses or truths that are in there. So it's a real encouragement for us to, to dig deep, to keep digging deep into the scripture. Fourth thing there, this is all coming out of some of Richard's questions, is a key part here is stubbornness of heart or hardness of heart. So... Towards the end of what we've just read, you find that one, at least one of the main causes of the problems of the Pharisees was that they had a, a hard heart and that stopped them from being able to see the truths of scripture and, and understand the heart of God. So they, they knew scriptures, they were quick to criticise, but there's something about being stubborn or hard inside that can block you from seeing the truth of God or understanding the heart of God. So, is anyone here in the room stubborn? <laughs> is any, does anyone feel like hands? More hands are going up for stubbornness than reading Richard's book. <laughs> that was like, yeah, yep, 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 yeah, yeah. I am, I am, yeah. So that that could be a problem, you know, for us. It could be that we we're, we're sort of stubborn. Uh, we like to have our own way. We're quite sort of hardened to thinking things through or new ideas. Might mean that we miss the heart of God somewhere. Then the last thing here, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. This is, this is the, the heart of it, really, because it's, it's pointing us toward God. What was what, what the Sabbath all about? Because that's at the centre of this passage. And Jesus is revealed as being the Lord of the Sabbath. So what is the Sabbath all about? And so the the disciples were getting picked on, if you like, because they were, in this bit that we've read, taking grains of corn. I mean, this doesn't sound that big, does it? And we've all done it. Maybe when we've been out for a walk in a field, have you ever done that in the country, where you just grab a bit of a stalk and you sort of put it in your mouth like a farmer? (laughs) Or you might even take the the grains out. Have you done that and ate them? That's what we're talking about here. So because they did that, now criticism is coming that what they are doing on the holy day, the the Sabbath, the Shabbat, is is equivalent to like work. Almost like they're harvesting the field. Well, they're not, are they? They're just taking a few grains and they're eating it. They're getting criticised And so they're coming coming like the Pharisees from a place of thinking they understand scripture in the heart of God and they're wanting to do what's right. So they should get a pat on the back for that. They're wanting to stick to the law which clearly says that there shouldn't be any work being done on the Sabbath. This was a serious matter and we'll get into a couple of scriptures in a minute. But there is another scripture that, that says, well, it's not, it's not quite that clear-cut. Yet, of course, doing work, harvesting, no, 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 no. That shouldn't be happening on the Sabbath. But there's another verse in Deuteronomy 23, 24 to 25. I'll read it to you if you don't get there quick enough. Deuteronomy 23, verse 24. If you enter, this is in, in the laws, if you enter your neighbour's vineyard, you are allowed to eat all the grapes you want, but you mustn't put any in a basket. So it's saying, you can have some grapes if you're hungry or or if you're poor, but there's a difference between going in with a rucksack and having food. So it's taking care of if you're hungry or if you're poor. Then it goes on to say, or if you enter your neighbour's grain field, then you are allowed to pick the kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to the standing grain. In other words, you can't cut it down, but you can pull it up with your hands. <coughs> so in there, we, you get like a little hint of God's heart. So it's like, yes, there are laws, and we'll look at some of them about Sabbath and why they're in place, and it's really important. But it's not like it's closed and so tight that when someone's hungry or if somebody's poor, there isn't a bit of a provision for them. So it's like God's saying, no, no, I'm providing for the poor, but don't take liberties. There's a difference between you need to work and take responsible for yourself and you're just taking advantage, going into other people's properties with baskets and knives and cutting down. It's like, no, 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 you can't do that. But if you're hungry and there's a need, you can do it. So there's provision there. So perhaps they weren't thinking of that verse or they'd added to their own interpretation, the Pharisees, like their own version of what work is and isn't. So it's like they've added other lines on. And clearly, Jesus and the disciples are trampling on their interpretation of what is and isn't allowed. So let's look at the Sabbath and why this was so important to them. Because if Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and there's there's amazing things that we can learn from that reality, then what are they... And what does it mean for us today? So we're going to look at the Sabbath. So this is a single day, a Sabbath day. We're then going to look at a Sabbath year, because there was a year where it was Sabbath every seven years. And then we're going to look at a super Sabbath, which was every 50 years, which was called the Jubilee. And all of them are connected, and all of them point us toward Jesus, because he's the Lord of everything, that sabbath relates to so number one sabbath day so f- we first come across the sabbath or, or rest where where in the bible does it first come up genesis yeah very good so where is it in genesis why genesis chapter two is it one let me just check my notes here <laughs> I've got Genesis 2, 2 to 3. It might be in 1, I may be not a check, but Genesis. We all agree on Genesis. And so uh, it was when God created and then rested on the seventh day. So it's, it's right at the very, very beginning. It, it comes in there. And so the word Sabbath or Shabbat is the word for stopping, resting, ceasing. Yeah? So, right at the beginning, there's something of a pattern that's put into place by God. And so, pausing there, does God get tired and weary physically like we do? No. Do you think God gets a bit stressed and anxious after the busy days of creating that is like, just got to lie down? No. So, why is he resting? Is it resting because he's tired, or is there something else going on? So, yes, something else going on. So, he's ceasing for other reasons not related just to, oh, I better put this in place because when I create people, they're going to get tired. That's part of it, but it's not just about that. So, Sabbath kicks in right at the beginning in Genesis uh, 2. It says, by the seventh day, God had finished his work and uh, and what he'd been doing, and he rested from it all, and then he blessed it. So he blessed the stopping and the resting and the ceasing and he made it holy. So this is what it's about, being made holy and being blessed when he rested from all of the creating work that he had been doing. And it was so serious that it came into law. So it comes in there as a pattern, but then later on when the laws are being given and, and, and so the Pharisees of course, knew this. This is what they're referring to. Exodus 31.15, the law given to Moses said that for six days you should be working and on the seventh day you should stop because it's holy to God. A time period is being set apart holy to God and whoever does any work on the Sabbath should be what? killed. Yeah. I mean, that, you can't get more serious than that as a consequence, can you? So, what, so when the Pharisees are having a go at the disciples for picking grain, is that really what they're thinking? I, I mean, we don't know, but that kind of consequence, so you've, you've worked, therefore you're not keeping the Sabbath, therefore they should be put to death. Did they expect that as an outcome? Certainly they're, they're, they attach seriousness to Sabbath. So, so for Israelites, for Jews that are ignoring the stopping on the Sabbath, death. And I mean, stop there. I mean, if someone said to you, if you don't take a day off every week, you're going to die. You would take a day off, wouldn't you? So, I mean, we'll get there at the end. So is, are we still under this law that says you've got to take a day off a week. It was, it's so important, that's the point, that it's rooted into law and the consequence is death. So it's, this isn't one where it's like, if you break the Sabbath, bring six goats and two bulls and stay in your house and then present yourself to the priest after seven days, because there's a lot of that in there as well. If you've got various illnesses and you've touched things, you can do that. Sabbath, it's like, no, nope, boom, you're gone, dead. So, in, in a culture that's been in existence for hundreds of years, imagine how serious you are about the Sabbath, about this holy day. It's a big deal. That's why. So that's why what's going on with Jesus here and the Pharisees is mega, mega, mega. So you've got the Sabbath day and then you've got the Sabbath year that also is picked up in other parts of scripture so deuteronomy 15 what is actually going on we we, it's easier to see it in the sabbath year than in a day because a lot more goes on when you get to the years and the 50 years we'll look at in a minute but it's like the seeds of it should be happening in the sabbath in the single day as well so the sabbatical year you can read about it in Deuteronomy 15. We won't read it all through, but it basically says that every seven years is to be a special year that is holy and set apart. And what goes on in that chapter, you can read it, is the land is resting. Not just the people, so it's not just people not doing work. The land is rested, you're not allowed to sow you're not allowed to prune, you're not allowed to reap using tools and s- sort of sell stuff on. And so the land is, is left to rest and then you can only eat stuff that's just growing that you pull up for your own family. So it's not like you're starving, but you're not allowed to do any serious harvesting of the land. Also on the sabbatical year, the, sab- the Sabbath year, is is this principle of of resolving debts and loans. So Israelites that had lent to other Israelites had to time it so that they would sort them out on the seventh year. They might restart them again, I guess, on year eight, but the point is there had to be a resolution of debt and paying back. Slaves were set free. This is Israelite slaves specifically. You can read about that in verse 12, Deuteronomy. Uh, 15 and so they could they could choose to stay so if if you were happy in a household you were working for because often it was it was a kind of work arrangement where you were given over to that family you could say no no i want to stay and there'd be a mark made in your ear with a bit of wood like be hammered through to say no no i want to be part of this household but basically you you should have the option to go on year seven so that israelites aren't enslaving israelites So this is all about freedom and and rest and having choice and not having others that are permanently set over you. Here's a verse from 2 Chronicles 36, 20 to 21 that shows you how perhaps Israel didn't stick to the Sabbath years very well. And it was one of the things that was mentioned as to why they were punished and disciplined by other nations like Babylon. So here we are, 2 2 Chronicles 36, verse 20 says that God carried them into exile in Babylon, the remnant who escaped from the sword and they became uh, servants to him. Um, sorry this is the uh, Babylonian ruler, became servants to him and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. And then there's a really interesting phrase that's used there and it says the land, this is the land of Israel, enjoyed its Sabbath rests. All the time of its desolation it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word spoken by Jeremiah, So the, the imagery there is that Israel has been disobedient in all, kind, all kinds of ways, including their treatment of one another, and they're sticking to Sabbaths and, and uh, Sabbath years and so on. And, and the imagery that's used there is that you're, you're going to be disciplined, punished, as we, we both agreed would happen. And the phrase that God chose to use is the land will catch up on all the Sabbaths. The land will rest and will go through these cycles of holiness. And when that's completed, then there'll be some restoration. So this is a a big deal. They dishonoured, they disobeyed God in lots of ways, but they'd certainly trampled on this Sabbath year in different ways and what what the heart of it was. So, So we've looked at the Sabbath day, we've looked at the Sabbath... Year and then there's this mega, mega important chunk of scripture in Leviticus 25, where it talks about the jubilee year, and so this was the the 50 year. Uh, some debate over whether it's year 49 or year 50, and whether it was like one year, two year, three years. But this this was this was a really like chunky period in their history, and so. This is everything that we've said already. We, we pour into this jubilee year. They're resting the land. They're resolving debts and so on, working out their debts like a lease or a mortgage. And so by the time you've hit this period, stuff should be, have been paid back. So it's not that debts were cancelled, because sometimes people use that phrase. It's not like cancel, as in, don't worry, I'll let you off it. It's more like, the arrangement between you was more like a lease or a mortgage. So you've got to work with your brothers and sisters to find responsible ways to lend one another money and to make sure you can pay it back, take responsibility for it within this given period of time. So you've got, you need to sort this out within this seven-year period if things are restarted. This is a, another marker. You need to work towards this point. Uh, Deuteronomy 15 verse 7, if among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that God is giving you, you shall not not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. So the the idea was was within the, the community, and these are lessons for the church obviously, was that there was a desire to help one another. That it wasn't just giving money away willy-nilly and not monitoring it, letting people off stuff, letting people take advantage. This, they, they, they're all the kind of principles that we would think that sounds like a good economy for a society. God was establishing them. They say you can take care of one another, make sure people don't get in unmanageable debt, and then making sure that you are not over the, not just seven years, but over the decades, up to 50 years, that you're not creating an institution of enslaving one another. So slaves could then return home. We're talking specifically Israelite slaves here. It was different from people that were coming from other land. But amongst the Israelites, it was time to go home. Land was also returned to tribes and clans. So this was new for the year of Jubilee. Land and property had to be kept within the the clan or tribe, within the allocation that God had given. So if you were apportioning off a bit of your land, or you were allowing someone else to use it, it, it was in order that as the generations go on, you don't have a kind of uncontrolled capitalism where three people end up basically owning all the land. So the idea was at that point, it's all reset goes back. People can go home, people can make claims on their original land that was allocated to them. So this is amazing when you think about the heart of God. So what is Sabbath? It's all this stuff. Sabbath is about people sharing and looking after one another, people having and taking responsibility for what God has given to them and not allowing greed to get out of control. And so on, the, on the, uh, the Jubilee year, it started on the, on the Day of Atonement. And so the Day of Atonement was the, the festival where the, the ram's horn was blown. It was signified by the blowing of the ram's horn. And this was all about resetting and cleansing and purifying and celebrating the, the arrival of God, God's involvement and intervention in providing uh, purity and sacrifice for his people in terms of the sacrificial system. This was the, the moment where they would take hold of what God has done for them, receive his cleansing, his forgiveness and celebrate the victory of God. So it, it's announced. So part of that is all this resetting of the economy in all these detailed ways. So when, when Israel were In slavery and they they left and they were being pursued by the Egyptians and then they were wandering around weren't they in the desert and they were given the law at that point when all these laws were starting to be unfolded just imagine they didn't they didn't have the land they didn't have the kind of debts there might have been a few loans going on but there wasn't like a whole economy built built around debt they, didn't have, they weren't enslaving one another at that point. So they were, like a, they were a free people. And, and God had chosen them and said, I will take you and put you in this land, but remember that the land is mine, it's God's. So it's not your land, it's not your money, these aren't your people, you are all brothers and sisters, you are stewards, you are tenants of what I'm bringing you into. And so therefore, you do it the way I tell you to do it. Otherwise, you're dishonouring me. The amazing thing is that when you look through Scripture, and numbers of the, the, the commentators point this out, there's not that much evidence that they even practice Jubilee, specifically. So if go away and research it, but you'll find that you can't find lots of examples. It wasn't a common practice. So one big line of thinking is that they really dropped the ball on this. It's, I mean, you can imagine this is hard to do, isn't it? So imagine how hard we find it to take a day off or at least stop working for a few hours or however you arrange to have a rest. You know what it's like? You're like, oh, got to keep going, keep going. Imagine having to stop for a year. Imagine having to do... Because the Jubilee would mess up your farming for maybe two to three years. Because if you don't sow, then you don't reap that year. If you can't reap that year because you're not, you you can't sow that year because you're in the year of West, then the next year you won't be reaping. So the whole thing is like, oh. But God promised that when you stop, I will provide double earlier. So when, when when you sow, you'll have enough to last you through. So it's a step of faith that they had to take. So this is Sabbath, a kind of big picture of Sabbath. And then when Jesus comes on the scene, so in the verses we read at the beginning, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. But when Jesus started his ministry and he, and he quotes from Isaiah 61, what, what does he say? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me to do what? To proclaim freedom. And so it's, it's the same words that are being used there. So when Jesus arrives, he says, The Spirit of God is on me, and I'm here to proclaim and announce Jubilee. Like the, the proper version of Jubilee. What it's been pointing to is, I'm announcing a freedom and a resetting of everything in the kind of way you've never experienced. I myself am the embodiment of jubilee, of Sabbath. So when the Pharisees question him this is how like hilarious it is that's what they're questioning. They're saying, "Oh, excuse me, um, these guys should probably die because they've picked a few grains of corn." They're, they're questioning The whole heart of Sabbath is to do with provision and looking after those that are, are poor or hungry. It, it was never about setting up laws and then saying, whoops, oh, 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 oh you need to die. You've overstepped that. that. That wasn't where it was going. So there's something about the importance of Sabbath that we can look at as Christians today in terms of stopping and resting and ceasing and how we conduct ourselves as a church But the heart of it wasn't to try, like the Pharisees, to criticise and to try and catch you out when you're not doing it or not behaving in line with what the Sabbath really means. 1 Peter 2 verse 11, we're told as a church to live as strangers and exiles in this world so that we might abstain from sinful desires and actions which wage war against us this is exactly what god said to his people in the land he said leviticus twenty-five, twenty-three, where he's teaching them about jubilee and the laws he says to them because the land is mine leviticus 25 and because you are strangers and travelers and sojourners in the land you are travelling and sojourning with me. So that the imagery was, even though they had land and a place to live, they weren't given it, they were given it temporarily as stewards, as tenants, in the same way that what we've been given in terms of a downposit of the Spirit and life in Christ, life on this world, in this earth, in the way we do things, should be seen like that like we're travelling through, it's not ours, it's not like you don't own your house, any money you earn it's not your money, you're travelling through, so everything that we have should be seen in the light of eternity, the way we treat one another, the way we respond to debts and challenges, all of it has to be somehow filtered through, what the Sabbath is really all about. So, in closing, what are some of the lessons that we could learn? What are the important things that we need to make sure we go out of this room ringing in our ears and our hearts today? First of all, let's remember that if we've got hard hearts or stubborn hearts, which we all have, at different times in different ways that, that, that's why we will struggle to enter into Sabbath into rest that's, that's why we will struggle to stop working and to cease it doesn't mean we're, we're kind of awful and failures and messy. it just means that we're like every other human being has been we're like Israel was it's really hard to put into action and so if you're a workaholic if you can't stop the, the gentle, gentle reminder would be from God that he's not impressed with your seven-day-a-week work rate. Unless it's a special season where you know you've been given grace, you have to, you know, sometimes life is a bit like that. But as a general pattern, it's not like God's saying, wow, even I couldn't do that. I ceased. Fair play. So... What God isn't impressed by, what he's impressed by is is faith through scriptures in the New Testament. So when in faith you stop, when in faith you cease, then you're trusting in God to resource and to provide the double. If not, all it is, is it's a reminder of your hard heart, your stubborn heart. I can't, I won't, can't be done. So remember that. Remember, it's a pattern established by God. Seven is a number in scripture for completeness and rest. It's like it's reinforced seven, seven years, seven times seven, up to the 49th and 50th year, established by God. It's so important that if you were an Israelite, you'd die if you didn't stick to it. So we negate it at its peril. But remember that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, that's the heart of this passage, is that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath and Sabbath was made for us. So Jesus says to the Pharisees, no, you've got it wrong, it's made, it's made for us, it's to do us good. It's for the benefit of creation so that we might rest in God rely on God trust in God put our faith in God and so that as humans we might live in a healthy way because we know because we're not God we've not received our our divine bodies yet have we at least it don't look that way looking <laughs> at it this morning then you can't you can't get away without the weariness that comes on or illnesses that will creep on an old, old age that creeps on so we do have to rest and stop sometimes just from that point of view Everything is God, so remember all your stuff. You're just a steward of it, a tenant in your house, all God's. And one day you'll have to give an account for it all. How you saw it, how you used it, how you held on to it. Sabbath gives us that eternal perspective because we're travelling through, we're strangers here, but the hardness of heart we all have wants us to make this place our home to like root us here in our stuff and our money and our jobs and our careers and all the things we're pursuing eternal perspective helps to lift us out sabbath points us onwards to an eternal rest that's when you stop and rest and for israel it's put rest the day rest every seven years every forty nights like it was pointing towards something else they weren't quite aware of we're, we're aware of it now the eternal rest is coming but we're supposed to enjoy it now we're supposed to like slip in and out of it now here in this current life so a question is does your life exhibit patterns that point to otherworldly provision so when we're together as a community, does it feel like we're with people that it's like, wow, when, when I'm with that person, it feels like their life is pointing to the future. The way they live, the way they talk, the way they respond to, to uh, issues, the way they handle their money and their resources. It's like they're relying on something supernatural. They don't seem to get swamped and live in, live in the economy of this world. Where do they get this power, this perspective from? So what would need to change in your life in order for that to be the case? Sabbath teaches us about generosity and support of others, especially in the church family and our own family. It wasn't that God didn't care about the other nations, but there is a special command to us as a church that you take care of one another. So yeah, absolutely love the world, but there's lots of scriptures that make it clear you've got to take care of one another and cause your own family in the midst of that. So we should should share. We should give people money. We should be generous. We shouldn't lord it over people. There are all kinds of ways we work that out. Creation care is prophetic as we're generally stewards of this whole earth together so how we treat the world we live in the household of this globe is important it's not just we trample on it and cast it aside on our way through because we're not going to be here for long we know that the whole of creation is going to be renewed that heaven is going to be coming down and joining earth so being prophetic means that as we take care of this earth it's pointing towards the better the perfection that is coming Last couple of things. It means that practical solutions and actions are spiritual. So sometimes we can maybe think that it's more important, it's more more spiritual if you're praying and worshipping, less spiritual if you're setting up a careful repayment plan to help your brother or sister in Christ. That's spiritual, that's what God did. He set up, he legislated and put an economy into place that protected the poor and households and families. So it's really important. So those of you that have got a call to do things that are practical in this world, whether it's in finance or whether it's building a house or carpentry or anything else, but being practical is spiritual as you're doing it for the glory of God and looking to help and honor others or set up teams and systems within your workplace that operate according to God's principles and truths. It's, this is worship. This is that's a spiritual thing to do. Jubilee is empowering for us because it helps us to take responsibility, as we said earlier, for our needs, to work, to pay back debts, alongside being generous. So it empowers the poor. That's why organisations like CAP, Christians Against Poverty, when they, they help us, help us as a church, to help those that are in debt, it isn't just, we'll cancel your debt. It's first, where's your money at? What's the budget? Let's help you to feel like you can rise up. You can do something about this because you're a valued member of the community. You're a, you're a valued Israelite. We're not going to leave you in perpetual slavery and the weight of debt or say, yeah, have a free handout. We'll, we'll see how we can help you to play your part and to be active in moving into freedom. So Jubilee and Sabbath, they are defining traits of the new order in Christ. They're permanent defining traits of the new order. And so this should inspire our worship and our devotion and our commitment, our consecration to Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, because he's the one that embodies all of this in himself, in his love and his care, his generosity to us, amen? The grace that he's poured out, the provision that he's made, Jesus' perspective on things wasn't temporary, it was eternal. For the glory set before him, he lived, he died, he went to the cross, he was resurrected. And, and he dealt with our debts, didn't he? The one who had no debt dealt with our debts. But he didn't just give a free handout and say, doesn't matter what you do now. He said, come and follow me. He said, I deal with your debts. Now rise up and walk in the new life. Walk in holiness. Walk in the patterns and practices and principles and truths that I've made known to you. And He brings us home, just like the slaves and the land. It's like it came home in Jubilee. It was brought home. You were set free. We're brought home, aren't we, to the Father? He brings us back to the land that we've been given eternally in him. So we're going to finish there and encourage you to go away and to think about your, your days, your weeks, your months, about what this looks like. And, and just remember, it was, a, it was a time period that was holy. See, it's perhaps easier to think of a thing or an item or an altar as being holy, because it's like you can touch it, but a time period being holy. That's how the Israelites would have understood it. That block of time is set aside. And so when you rest, when you pull back in faith, when you take time off, when you go away each year, when you go on retreat, you're setting aside time for God. Time to be holy. Maybe daily there's that kind of Sabbath moment where you set aside time it's for God. It's set aside so you can focus on him. So Sabbath travels all the way through all of these aspects of our life, all the way on into that day of glory when we move into the eternal Sabbath forever and ever. What a day that will be. Let's share communion together. We're going to maybe worship again, if that's all right, just uh, for for a song, and to come to the table at the front here. We've got the uh, individual cups uh, that have amazingly some. Someone in our church was given thousands of these through their connections, so um, we thought we'll use some of them today. But invite you, as you worship, to come to the table. So just come and take one of these little pots, and then you you know it the drill from lockdown. In the top, there's a, a biscuit, and then the wine is there. But let's remember that Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, And he said, this is my body broken for you. He took wine and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. This is the new covenant, the new agreement that I make with you, made through my blood, the living living way. And so as we come to the table, as we take today, we're taking in faith. And this is one way in which we we rely and, and, and take something of that Sabbath faith and trust that God said, Jesus said, you you can't do it without me. I can do nothing without the Father. We can do nothing likewise without the love of God, the love of the Father and his grace. And so this is a way in which we rely and we depend and we receive. This is a, a time when we reset, if you like. Clear the decks of your heart. Clear the decks of your conscience. Sort out relationships with others that have gone astray. You come back and you receive fresh grace, fresh love, fresh provision. Lord, we thank you for your amazing love for us. Thank you for that, that Sabbath principle, that, that amazing truth and provision that you're the God who's made available to us, the Lord of the Sabbath. You've made amazing provision for us. We don't need to come wondering whether we're accepted, wondering how to get there, we, we, we get there through you, we come through you. So we receive your love again today. I pray for each one here Lord that we might know your cleansing, your forgiveness, that as your word says that you are faithful and just to cleanse us and forgive us and make us righteous. May that be received May it be stood on, may it be taken hold of again today, I pray. Young and old, Lord, we want to know that grace.